0: Good morning. Good morning. Heaven yes, hell no. Today, oh, just hold that for a second. Hold that for a second. Uh, today we will begin week one of a two-week miniseries on heaven and hell. Um, we certainly will not cover everything on these two Things, But I hope, pray, that, we, that we will, you will be convinced that when it comes to your eternal destiny, you will, with total conviction, emphatically believe and declare and say, heaven yes, hell no. When it comes to heaven and hell... There is no greater contrast to ever exist. When we come to the reality of heaven, there is no biblical concept more beautiful, more satisfying, more complete, more perfect than the idea of heaven. It seems almost too good to be true. Perhaps Jesus will return this week But if he does not, God willing, next week we will talk about heaven. But this week, it's hell. And when we come to the reality of hell, there is no biblical concept more grim, more terrifying, more abominable than the idea of hell. The concepts of hell are so staggering that on one hand it should never leave our minds because of the gruesome eternity that it holds but on the other hand and probably the bigger hand I think for most including myself it is so unpopular with most that it is distorted or dismissed altogether but here's the problem with that the reality of hell comes to us from the teaching of Christ Himself. This is really what we would call a standalone sermon, and I, there are two weeks left of our standalone sermons. And so I believe God has just pressed it in my heart to do one week on heaven and one week on hell. Um, I think He led me to this topic. Uh, because of situation within our church, a church member who has died, and during that time, there was just a lot of talk about heaven, and I 'm really looking forward to talking about heaven next week. But with one also comes the responsibility and I think, obligation of the church to talk about the other. Uh, we need to know what Jesus teaches. We need to heed and obey what Jesus teaches, and we need to share with others what Jesus teaches. Don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus spent more time warning people about the dangers of hell than he did in comforting with the hope of heaven. In fact, he spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible combined. Let me just share with you some of the words from this first sermon that we know about from Matthew chapter 5 verse 22. In his sermon, he said, But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be the subject to hellfire. In the same sermon, verses 29 and 30, he goes on to say, "If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the body parts, one of the parts of your body, than for your whole body to go" Into hell. I find that to be very intense kind of preaching. Gouging out eyes, cutting off body parts sounds horrible and horribly painful. Yet Jesus says, doing those things is nothing compared to what awaits a person who goes to hell. Jesus isn't done. In chapter 10 of the same book of Matthew, Matthew ten twenty eight, he says to his disciples just before sending them out to the Great Commission, do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him, referring to himself, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In chapter 11, he talks about hell. In chapter 18 of Matthew, he talks about hell. In chapter 23, he talks about hell several times. He accuses the Pharisees of being sons of hell and producing more sons of hell. There would get to be a point where you'd have to start to consider, I think Jesus might be a hell, fire, and brimstone preacher. And sometimes we put that type of preaching in a box. And I would say to all of us, we should be wise and adhere and listen and heed these words that Jesus is sharing. Jesus spoke pointedly about the harsh reality of hell. And the church has an obligation to do the same, despite its unpopularity. If we take into consideration that everything Jesus said about hell, which is what I spent this week studying and looking at, I think we would come up with a definition like this. So I want to offer to you a definition of hell as a state, a conscious state of eternal punishment and torment. That is the definition that throughout the most of this sermon this morning that I will be using and referring to. I think it's very important that we understand where does hell get its origin It seems like that when Jesus spoke about hell in his day to the people that he was speaking to, like they had an idea of what he was talking about. You never see him teaching about hell and someone going, wait, wait, what, what is this thing called hell? They had an idea of what it was about. And here's how that idea came about. We use the English word hell, which gets its Greek meaning from Gehenna, which gets its Hebrew meaning from the valley of Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom is a real place. Did you know that? It is. I wanted to show it to you. If you're not familiar with it, it's located just outside of Jerusalem. And it's important that I give you a super fast history lesson about Israel because in order to better understand hell, we have to know about this valley of Hinnom. The valley was located where ancient Israel would sacrifice their own children to a Canaanite god named Molech. That's right. You heard me correctly. I'm not making this up. It was a place they would sacrifice their own children. Obviously, it was a practice that God disapproved of. It's almost mind-blowing to me, crazy to think about, that God would have to write something down in His Word to give to the people to say, don't do that, that's bad. And yet, that is exactly what we find in Leviticus eighteen twenty-one, and it says, "This: You are not to make any of your children pass through the fire of Molech. Do not profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh." And did they listen? No. Second Chronicles twenty-eight one through three gives more history of Israel. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the Lord's sight like his ancestor David. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and he made cast images of Baals. He burned incense in the valley of Hinnom and did what? And burned his children in the fire. Imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. Sometimes the depravity of human beings is more obvious than others. And this seems to be about as obvious as it can be. The Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they they refer to this same detestable behavior I mean, you talk about bad parenting skills and bad government policies, the king sacrificing his people's own children. Well, God does what God always does with sin and rebellion, and he punishes the Israelites to the tune of 70 years in captivity. Once they return to their land, they start rebuilding it, including the valley of Hinom which God had also called the Valley of Slaughter. But thankfully and rightfully, they did not return to sacrificing their children. But instead, it became a place, it became a valley where dead bodies of criminals and dead animals and all kinds of trash and debris were thrown into this valley and it was being burned and consumed by fire. The valley literally became a valley of burning sewage, burning flesh and garbage. Maggots and worms crawled throughout the wasteland, and the stench from the smoke was strong and sickening. That's exactly how Isaiah describes it. It was a nasty, filthy, disgusting place. I'm sure the stench would burn your eyes, and the smell could easily make a person vomit. That is the vivid image that Jesus is used, Jesus is uses when He refers to hell. Eternal punishment and torment, where burning never ends, where disease and uncleanliness never ends, where worms and maggots never stop crawling around. It was a very graphic picture. Do you see this picture? The Bible also uses a few other words which are associated with hell. And I think it's important for us to know that. And so I have a little chart for us that I've made. So far this morning, we have really been, when I've been reading about from Jesus and how he taught, this is the section that he would be mostly teaching from. Gehenna, lake of fire, everlasting fire, everlasting punishment, outer darkness. These are the words that we see through Scripture all referring to Gehenna. There are also other terms that are used in the Bible that sometimes get connected with this idea of the afterlife, heaven and hell. Sheol is one of those words. Here we see it is, that is the place of the dead. It's really, really important that words get translated correctly because if they don't get translated correctly, if they don't get understood correctly, it can lead to a lot of confusion, a lot of debate. So I wanted just to point this up to us. I think like these, each one of these words could be like their own sermon. Certainly they could be. And then there is Hades, which is from the Greek. It means the world beyond. Sheol and Hades are very much similar in their definitions and their function that we have. You can see how they're used uh, 66 times for Sheol and then let, Ten times for Hades. Sheol is almost always used in the Old Testament. Hades is often used in the New Testament. Jesus refers to Hades as well. It wasn't always a Gehenna that he referred to. In Luke 16 he refers to a place called Hades. Maybe you're familiar with this story of what is commonly known as Lazarus and the rich man. Anybody know it? All right, kind of familiar with it? People have debated for centuries whether this story that he shares was a real-life story because it's one of the only times that he uses a parable and identifies people by actual names. But it could also be a parable. People have debated that on and on and on. Regardless if it was a story or a parable, Jesus sheds some light on the afterlife. Follow along with me. I want to read a portion of this story to you that Jesus shares. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. Now, if you remember from our days of studying Paul, maybe he shopped at Lydia's shop, right? The purple linen is an indication that he is a wealthy, wealthy man. And lavishly, he was feasting every day. Think like Thanksgiving meal all the time. Verse 20, But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torment in Hades. He looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm was between "...has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us." Jesus is telling a story and refers specifically to a rich man being in Hades. And he also refers to a place that in this place of Hades is identified as a place of torment, anguish, and thirst... But he also said that Lazarus was taken to a place called Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. It's the idea that Lazarus was there with Abraham. They are in a place where they can see each other. They can apparently talk to each other. At least Abraham and Lazarus can but they are not able to go from one side to the other side because of the great gulf that is between them. Now let me tell you, many, many, many people have questions and many, many people have debated about the details of this story. Is Hades another name for hell? Is Abraham's side another name for heaven? Can people in heaven and hell communicate with each other? Those are all great questions. And I am not going to answer one of them today. (laughs) And people disagree on these answers. But let me say, though the answer to these questions may differ... There is one absolute main point to this story that is not debated, is not confusing, it's not hard to understand at all. The main point of this story is that once a person dies, that's it. There is no way to change from one side to the other side. And it is in this lifetime While a person is still breathing and still has their mental capacities to acknowledge personal sin and to to repent of the sin and to put faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, it is in this lifetime that a person determines his or her eternal destiny. That's the main point. Sure, I have my opinions about Hades and Abraham's side. And if you would like to take me to lunch one day, (laughs) I would be glad to share those with you. And you can share me your opinion as well. But at the end of the day, when a person dies quicker than a snap of a finger, it will be clear for all of eternity what side they are on. And that will never change. In Revelation chapter 20, Verses 11 through 15, it also mentions Hades. Let's read that. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead. And death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These verses are given to us by John Who was able to have a vision? God allowed him to have a vision of what the final judgment looks like. And John says, There is a second death for anyone whose name is not written in the book of life. And then Hades and everyone there in Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is a good time to tell tell you. If you don't know this, this is true that the Bible tells us what hell is like using symbols. Fire is often a symbol used throughout Scripture to describe God's judgment. But it is hard to find in the Bible that that doesn't tell us so much what hell directly is. The Bible is using horrific terms, horrific you know, images in our mind that we sort of understand this reality. But it's a lot worse than what is written. Hell, the lake of fire, Gehenna, outer darkness, all these terms that we find in Scripture are just describing the final destination of those who reject Christ. Hell the lake of fire, Gehenna, outer darkness are all terms describing the never-ending, totally inescapable torment for those who reject Christ. Hell, the lake of fire, Gehenna, outer darkness, they are all terms describing the complete separation from God from those who reject Christ. The worst aspect of hell. This guilty, shameful separation from God and all of its formness, all of its forms of goodness, that is the worst aspect of hell. Separation from God. That's the picture that Scripture over and over and over describes. It is far worse than a physical pit of fire that only burns flesh. As horrible as that sounds, and it sounds horrible, it's not even close to what hell is. So now what? There's a little overview of hell, Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom. It would be outstandingly bad, egregious, to now have facts about hell and leave it at that. So I'd like for us to make three applications this morning when it comes to hell. One, not all warnings are equal. Take the warning of hell shared this morning. Take the warning of hell shared in the Bible. The warning of hell given by Jesus Christ himself as the greatest warning of them all. I think we would all say that over our years we are very thankful for some warnings that we have received. And maybe we've even found some warnings that we find quite ridiculous. I I once saw on a Superman costume a warning label that read, Warning, this costume does not enable flight or super strength. there's not much funny things to talk about when you're talking about a sermon on hell so (laughs) fine uh my son-in-law who i was visiting with last night well truth be told i wanted to see my newest born grandchild and some of you have thanked me and encouraged me. And, oh, I saw all the pictures. You've seen him more than I have because I don't do social media. Uh, and so thank you for doing that. Uh, he was sharing with me, like, oh, okay, what are you you're preaching? Okay, what are you preaching about? And I said, oh, hell. He's like, oh, hell. And I said, yeah, we're going to have part where talk about this is the greatest warning we've ever had in our life. And I've got this funny one about Superman. And he's like, oh, let me tell you about one that I just saw. Maybe you'll want to use it. So, Michael, you made the sermon. They uh, chose to have this baby at home with midwife help and all the you know, fun things that go with it. And in their living room, they are setting up a birthing pool. And there it goes. So now thank glorified little kid swimming pool, all right? Maybe minus the ducks and things. And they're setting it up, and he says he was shocked when he's setting it up, and there it is on the side panel of the pool. Warning, absolutely no diving. I'm just visualizing, like, pregnant mom. (laughs) Wow. Thankfully, we have plenty of good warnings that have been given to us over the years. But I want to tell you that the warning of hell and the gruesome reality of it is by far the greatest warning of all warnings to heed. It bears asking the question, is your name written in the book of life? Great news. It can be. Like, every knee is going to bow and confess Jesus as Lord. Every knee is going to do that. And blessed and highly favored is the person who does this willingly now. But for those who don't, the consequence will be an eternity of hell. Worse than the vision of the valley of Hinnom. Take this warning of hell as the greatest warning you will ever receive. Two, when it comes to hell, because of the horrific magnitude of it, there is no place for jokes or flippancy about hell and I will say as we started this morning heaven yes hell no I have no flippancy when I say that and I know it came across as a little lighthearted. but I am here to set the record straight there is nothing flippant about it there should be a strikingly different mindset a strikingly different lifestyle a strikingly different way that we talk as Christians about hell and use the word hell as compared to the, the culture that we live in. Sadly, I think the way that we often talk about hell shows that we have no idea what we're talking about often it is done with flippancy and jokingly. And maybe you've heard sentences like this. And I even ask for your grace as I say them. Man, that was a hell of a day. That was a hell of a game. Get the hell out of here. Not one time in the Bible do we ever find an author ever hinting of being flippant or joking about hell. Jesus certainly didn't. He warns of the seriousness of hell. He speaks of hell as a fiery furnace where people are crying out at the top of their lungs and gnashing their teeth in this dreadful and constant agony. And certainly, we should be very mindful to consider that in a room this size, there is family and friends who apart from the grace of God are on the path to hell. And so I would, I just plead with you to think twice or three times or four times before speaking about hell in a way that would not be worthy of how it should be spoken about. And the third application, when it comes comes to hell, share the gospel more than ever. More than ever. Because there have always been untrue voices trying to dismiss the reality of hell, or trying to change the reality of hell. And these voices continue today, and they often have popular platforms. And when I mean that they continue today, I mean that, of course, that they are happening in the market streets. They're happening all over our culture. But they are also happening in buildings and places that have the word church assigned to them. Annihilationism is a belief, it's the idea that unbelievers will not experience eternity of suffering in hell, but that they will instead be extinguished after death. It's still being taught today. And honestly, what unbeliever wouldn't want to accept a teaching and a concept like that? Live any way that I want without any accountability? And yet all around us, in our culture as a whole, we know that's not true. There's all kinds of accountability when we, when how we are sitting with one another and acting with one another and driving and working. Both saved and unsaved know that. Universalism, the idea that eventually everyone will be saved, that is being preached and taught both in the church places and abroad. And again, I would say, who wouldn't like that concept? I think it's even better than the first one. I get to live any way that I want. Which is another way of saying I get to live all for me. And sure, things might be a little tough at times. I might get a little bit of punishment or have to a little suffering here. But at the end, it's good. I get heaven. Oh, I'm in. Sign me up. Purgatory falls into this kind of thinking. The idea of this temporal punishment before eventually going to heaven. Being preached a lot in the streets and in the workplace and in places that have the word church assigned to them. Soul sleep. It is what exactly it sounds like. The idea that at death, physical death, the soul sleeps and wakes up. At the very end, and all is okay. Reincarnation, the idea that after death, the soul returns in a new body. Every one of these, according to the Bible, is a lie. The Bible teaches of a real heaven and a real hell with a clear description of how a person goes to heaven and how a person goes to hell. So, share the gospel. Share it with passion. Share it with conviction. Share it with compassion. Share it endlessly. In my studies this week, I came across a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I think it summarizes the attitude that we should have when it comes to sharing the gospel. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled... Let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, may we be a people that shares the gospel with that kind of passion. I pray that we will be convinced with total conviction, emphatically believing and declaring to others and sharing with others that yes, heaven Hell no. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this warning. He's very loving and kind and gracious for you give such a warning. Certainly I would ask that all unbelievers would hear this warning and then in hearing it act upon the warning like if we know it certainly we would want to do something about it Lord put that type of conviction on their hearts on their mind that there would be a repentance And a turning to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. And even, Father, the warning inside of your own people, your body, the ones who have freely received this grace. fellow, I pray that hearing a warning like this would stir us to think of just how long eternity on the negative side on the hell side really is that that our words would be like appropriately spoken and again you are so good to forgive us. Maybe there needs to be some forgiving of taking hell in a joking, flippantly way. Lord, guard us from doing that. Let us see the seriousness of it. Father, just this week, just struggling through the concept that Jesus... You are the creator of all things. You are the sustainer of all things. Hell doesn't get excluded from that. Originally, hell was made for Satan and his demonic followers. And because of sin, we now, humans, also have this part of our judgment. Father, I thank you for Jesus. As an escape from such a horrible place, may we never experience what it means to be totally separated from you and your goodness. I'd ask that you would just use the foolishness of preaching. To show the power of your word. The power of your spirit. That you would be glorified in it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.